You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you want to work on making your way to Deuteronomy 6, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 4 through 9. I just want, to, just want to celebrate again the work of our junior interns. I have two of them up here. They've worked all month working on uh, how to serve on the worship team, and, and they led us in worship. Praise the Lord. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that sermon that I'm starting to see how that's coming together for the senior adult luncheon. So if you're going to be at the senior adult luncheon, um, one of our junior interns is going to be preaching. Praise the Lord. These are all ways in which um, we can love God, which is what I hope we see today as we move in our series, Putting on Christ, uh, coming out of that text in Romans to say, what does it really mean to take on Christ, to, to put on Christ? Let's start with God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's on page 157 if you're using one of those church Bibles somewhere nearby. God's Word says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, as we seek to hear from you, as we seek to understand from your word and glean from it and be transformed by it, I just ask that you give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Maybe some in this room, the ears to hear for the very first time. Or maybe some in this room who've been walking with you for many, many, many years. Lord, show them something from your word that's been there this whole time that they've just never seen before. But Lord, we want to be people who live your word. We want to know it and live it and also proclaim it. And so Lord, help us to live it well. Help us to surrender to it. There may be hard things that we need to hear from you and surrender to those things. And help us to find our joy in it that we would find our greatest love and joy in you. And in that, Lord, we would, we would love the people you love. We would love your truth. We would love everything about you with everything about ourselves. God, help us to do that this morning, because without you, we can do none of it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been reading this new book by a church planter pastor. Uh, it's an excellent book. It just came out. I finished it last night. It's fantastic. And the guy who wrote it, I think stole everything that's been bouncing around in my brain and wrote it. It's one of those kind of books. Like, this is all the stuff I've been thinking about. And, and he started his church planner journey a little bit before me, but a lot of his stories and a lot of the things he's working out were uh, kind of right along the same timeline and, and the, the big exciting momentum of church planting as me. And he's in some of the same circles and in, in some of the same uh, faith tribe stuff. So it just sort of sent me down memory lane in lots of ways. Some of those memories, you know, go back more than even a decade. And so I did what we all do, but we don't like to confess that we do. I started thinking about those people, and then I looked them up on the internet to see how they're doing. People I've just lost touch with over the years. Some of those people are still with me, but some of those people have just lost touch with them, and I just kind of wanted to take a look. And so I started finding them on my social media stuff. You know, like you're friends with them on social media, but their stuff never comes up because of the way the algorithms work. I found them. Man, in some cases, it was so encouraging to see how they've been doing, what they've been doing. Um, I have friends who've, who've planted 
churches who are pastoring, who are doing amazing things, who've written books, who have gone on to, to teach in seminaries. It was really encouraging to see how some of the faithful people were doing, having kids and, and serving well. But it wasn't encouraging in every case. There were some cases where, where I found dumpster fires of their faith. I mean, like just some people have made a complete shipwreck of their Christian journey. It's like in bad ways. Some of them aren't even Christians anymore, if they ever were. Others were angry, miserable trolls, all in the name of Christianity. I thought, what happened to you? How can this sort of thing happen? How, how can we go from, from loving God, following Jesus well, to just shipwrecking our faith? Did, did my friends fall asleep at the wheel? Did they drive into a ditch? What happened? Well, in both the letters that we have from Paul to Timothy, Paul mentions people who did, in fact, drive right into the ditch, make a shipwreck of their faith. He even mentions some of them by name. So when we get a little bit uncomfortable with that, we need to recognize that's in God's inspired word that Paul called some of these people out. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 19 and 20, he said, Some have rejected these, meaning faith and good conscience. Some have rejected faith and good conscience, and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus, I can never say that word, Hymenaeus, there we go, Hymenaeus, and Alexander, who I have delivered to Satan, so they may be taught not to blaspheme. Now I think the Alexander he's talking about here is the same guy that he identifies, like not that Alexander, this Alexander the coppersmith, in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, there he says, um, he's warning Timothy, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. And then this Hymenaeus, the guy can't ever pronounce his name correctly, and this other guy also get called out, and they're called false teachers by Paul. Paul warns Timothy, he says this, quote, Avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus, now we've got this other guy, are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. These are serious words. But I don't think these people set out to shipwreck their faith. I don't think anybody sets out to go, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just going to shipwreck my faith. I don't think we start on that journey. But I think what happens is these individuals, and hopefully not us, but I think people stop taking Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 that we just read seriously. They forget this all-important instruction. There's a slow drift. Right? There's just a little off course, little by little, one direction or the other, until it's only a matter of time that they're completely shipwrecked. They're just off. They stop repenting. They stop, stop drawing near to the Lord. They stop seeking to honor God. Their love for God either fades. There's kind of two ways this goes. It either fades or it gets so focused in one area at the cost of another area that they're just in the weeds. Deuteronomy 6 gives us sound instruction to prevent this. It gives us guide rails. It gives us some protection. 
Because if we love God with everything, which is what we just read, that's the command, if we love God with everything and we trust his instructions, we'll stay on the narrow road that leads to life rather than drift wide into the shipwreck that leads to a faithful destruction. Deuteronomy 6 is our safeguard. So let's take a look at that. Let's just look at, at um, the first part. first part is the command. It's the greatest command. All right, and the second part are the guardrails that help us. And if we hold on to them, if we trust them, over the long haul of our whole lives, we'll find ourselves in safe territory. So let's look at these first two verses. Verses 4 and 5, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We sang that this morning, didn't we? Verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The first statement is a, is a truth statement of profound theological significance. Maybe one of the most significant statements in all of the Bible. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, should arm us against idolatry. It's like the slogan that keeps encouraging one another. When I was in Iraq, we'd constantly tell our fellow soldiers, keep your head down, stay safe. As Christians, we should be telling one another, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a rally cry. It arms us against moving into these false things, into idolatry. There is no other. There's not another God. We shouldn't seek another. We don't need a second opinion. We only need God, our Lord, who is one. All the others are false. Anything else we look for? False. Looking for any others is idolatry. Our affections must be for God and for God alone. Now, with that in mind... With that in mind, the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, is clear, and it makes really good sense. If if there is no other, and all the others are false idols, then God is the only one that should get all of our love. From all aspects of our life, there's no part of our life that should be looking for anything else or anybody else. God gets it all because there's only God, there's only one God. He gets everything that we are, all of our love, right? It makes sense. So verse 5 is the greatest commandment of the Bible. And that's not just my judgment call. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was asked by a teacher of the law. He said, someone came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? And to answer, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, 5. He just quoted this verse. You can read about that in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Mark 12, verses 29 through 31, and Luke 10, 25 through 28. He had no problem. This is the greatest commandment, he said. And then he gave the second greatest commandment. In doing that, he quoted Leviticus 19.18. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's what's fascinating. Jesus said, all of the law and all of the prophets, that was his way of saying all of the Bible of his day, is summed up completely by these two commandments together. With these two, you've got it all. So you could take this verse, you could try to parse it out, as some do. I've probably tried this before many times. You could say, okay, to love God with all your heart this way, you do this. And you love God with all your soul in that way. And you love God with all your strength like this. This is what you do. And you love God with all your mind, which, by the way, Jesus added the mind because of the heart-mind language issue. Uh, You love God with all your mind this way. You could do all that, and that'd be okay. But it doesn't matter. You don't need to. Because... What the verse is actually saying is you love God with everything. It's a way of saying everything that you are, every aspect of who you are, 
Everything about you is to love God. It could be expanded to say, okay, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your strength, all your heart, all your mind, all your finances, all your skills, um, all your abilities, all your stuff. Everything. You love God with everything. It's a picture of totality. And anytime we don't love God with everything, every single aspect of who we are, that includes our identity, our sexuality, our abilities, our skills, our strengths, our weaknesses, everything. If you don't love God with everything that you are for even one second, you're in disobedience to this command. That's what this is saying. Love God with everything. Because all of our affections belong to God. They're due to God. If we don't give God everything at every moment, if we put something else above that, we're actually cheating on God. We're cheaters. But Jesus, he never sinned. He never cheated. We do. He didn't. That means that there was never a moment when Jesus didn't cheat on God. There was never a moment, not for, not for an instant, not for one little tiny snippet of time when he cheated. He never slipped up. He never stumbled. He never disobeyed this command. Not once. So that's great for Jesus, but it's problematic for us. Okay, because God is perfectly just. He's a just God. He's a perfect God. So he has to punish cheaters. He has to. If he doesn't, he's not just. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. And if he doesn't do it, he's not the perfect judge. In fact, he's not even a good judge. None of us like a judge who turned a blind eye to crime. So we're not going to like a judge who's going to turn a blind eye to our sin. That's not a good judge. But God is also perfectly loving, so he's perfectly just, and he's perfectly loving, which is the amazing part of the gospel. He sends his son, his one and only beloved son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life. The one that we didn't do. And then trade that perfect life for our failed cheating lives. That way, all the cheaters, you and me, all of us, could actually be reconciled to God then, Jesus took the judgment, the death sentence that was supposed to be ours for our sin so we could have his perfect life. The Bible calls all of us to be saved by believing that this is true, that he was crushed for our sin and then raised from the dead. The Bible's calling you and me to believe so that we can be reconciled to God. If you haven't done this, or if you're not doing this, or I just want to plead with you. You really need to. You really should. Because if you haven't done this right now, your, your life for eternity hangs in the balance. And that should be terrifying. So what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't plead with you and say, please, turn to the Lord and be saved? I'd love to chat with you about that if, if that's you. Afterward, just come, come talk with me. Most of us in here, I believe, are Christians. We're putting our hope and our faith and trust in this Jesus. We know that we are cheaters and he lived a perfect life. We've made this exchange. So that should make us so grateful, so thankful that we cannot stop worshiping him. That's just all we can. That's all we're going to do all the time. We're just going to worship Jesus. We're going to say, Jesus, thank you, like we sang. We're just going to praise him. Okay, so there shouldn't be any middle ground. 
You're over here, your life hangs in the balance, or you're over here and you're completely thankful and love with God and you just can't stop talking about Him. There's no middle ground. Though when it comes to a shipwreck, okay, I mean, some of us are growing and learning, but when it comes to a shipwreck, we've gone somewhere else altogether. One of two directions. We've drifted into a ditch right? because of our sin. Both of these directions are preventable if we just hold on to Jesus. Both of these things, these ditches, are fine if we, they're not, shouldn't be a problem if we just remember Deuteronomy 6, 5 and love God with everything we are. But the drift is really sneaky. Like, I mean, Satan is just sort of, he's just getting us a little by little. He's getting us off. And how he's doing it is he's changing our understanding or messing with our understanding of what it actually means to love God. And this problem runs rampant. So before we look at the guardrails, before we look at how we stay safe in this, I just first want to identify the two ditches. I think we need to call it what it is and put it out there. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road? That leads to life, and few find it. So when it comes to, to loving God, we have this, this narrow path before us that we need to stay on. Right? We can kind of drift over this side of it or drift to this side of it, but if we're not careful, we may eventually go off the path and crash in the ditch, blow up and <laughs> make a shipwreck of ourselves. Okay, on, on one side over here of this narrow road we're on, we find a lot of love for others. We, we often um, see people who are willing to reach out to those who are different than ourselves, kind of over on this side of the lane. There's a lot of patience over here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of grace over here for the least of these and for those in the fringes. Right? Christian community is really essential over here. It's loved, it's cherished, getting together like life on life. Typically, evangelism and mission are really high and valued on this side of the road. We see Jesus on this side of the path when he's eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, when he's healing lepers, and when he's just so gentle in his teaching. There's just this really beautiful picture of of love. We see him over here when he's really patient with his bumbling disciples. They're just messing up over and over and over again. This is often where we find many new believers. They find themselves over here because they need this on their journey. This is is a good part of our Christian journey. And this is where we find some of the best, most loving community. Right? Kind of on this side of the road. Sometimes this side of the road can frustrate others. Sometimes it frustrates us because it might not look like deep study or uh, the serious seeking of holiness. Sometimes it's accused maybe rightly so, maybe not, of being theologically shallow or, or basic, entry level. Right? This is a good area for new believers, sometimes called baby Christians, but sometimes those individuals will stay here and camp out on this side of the road, and then they don't mature well, and that might become a problem. Now, while we need to be over here at times, there, there are really good times to be here. There's a danger of going too far and off into the ditch, the ditch on this side, okay, the, the, the danger area over here, if we, if we ignore the truth of the Bible, is that we actually ignore the truth of the Bible. 
This is where the danger starts. We start getting a little bit loose with the Bible. We're not as concerned about what it has to say. Maybe we don't even, even look to it. Maybe we ignore it. Keep it on the shelf. Let it get dusty. Sometimes we compromise too far. We compromise ourselves against the Bible. Sometimes unity, which can be the really big buzzword over here, becomes the thing that draws us all the way over the edge because we've sacrificed the truth of the Bible for that unity. Or sometimes we've sacrificed that truth for church growth. Or sacrificed that truth for for any number of other things. Reaching the lost. We've gone too far. We've gone beyond what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. False teachers can lead us into the ditch from over here by ignoring God's Word or even teaching things that are against God's Word. This is one side. And the ditch. Here's the other side. On the other side of this path, if we kind of venture over this side, we find a passion for sound doctrine. Like there's a deep desire to glorify God. Uh, We want to worship God in the way God demands that we be worshipped. It's taken very seriously in that way. Correction and rebuke in love is important over here. Apologetics becomes kind of a high-level passion over here. Engaging with false worldviews tends to come from this side of the road. Studying God's Word is a favorite activity on this side of the road. We'd starve to death physically and feast on God's Word over on this side of the road. Understanding God on His terms and correctly responding to Him is the high priority over here. Now, we see Jesus on this side of the road when He's rebuking the Pharisees and flipping over the tables in the temple. Right? We, we see him over here when he's answering the big theological questions when people ask, and then he's like dropping big theological question bombs back on people, and they're really working through these things and trying to get God for who he is right and try to understand. Right? He's teaching his disciples, and he's warning them from this side of the road, and he's telling them of the coming things that are going to be hard and difficult. When Jesus asked Pilate, excuse me, when Pilate asked Jesus, and Jesus engaged with Pilate, what is truth? He did so all that was from this side of the road. Now, sometimes this side of the road frustrates people because it can be really serious about Bible study. You know, maybe too serious, they'll say. Or it might come across as a little staunchy or a little stuffy. Some people get really uncomfortable with this side of the road because to be on this side of the road, sometimes we have to draw some lines that we don't want to draw. Some of those are hard. They're matters of getting theology right. You know, can't we just all get along is the question that gets thrown at this side of the road all the time. Who, why is this such a big deal? Right? Well, well, deep study and, and hard lines are healthy in the Christian journey and necessary. The, the Bible you know, doesn't sometimes draw certain lines that get drawn, and that causes a lot of criticism over here. People over here sometimes will lose patience in the discipleship process and give up on people. Right? So while we need to be over here at times, there's also a danger of going too far and dropping off the road into the ditch. The ditch over here is when we ignore the people that God loves and died for. That we don't want to love them in the way that God called us to love them. We want to re, um, redefine what all of that looks like. The ditch over here is when we start seeing Christians as enemies and treating them accordingly name-calling and accusing. We start isolating ourselves from all of God's people and only gather with the people that are just like us when we're in this ditch. 
In this ditch, every matter becomes a matter of vital importance. Everything has to be exactly perfect, and if it's not, we blast anyone who does not line up with how we see it. Every doctrine over here, no matter how small, becomes a matter of disunity. Now, our evangelism isn't about seeing people get saved at all. It's about validating that we're right. It's about others, if they believe us, then we're right. There's no patience over here in this ditch. We're right, they're wrong. Now, here's the tricky part. False teachers in this ditch usually get the Bible right, but they get the outwork and the practice all wrong. So it sounds good, but it doesn't look good. The fruit is dangerous. There's too much bite. The people in this ditch are just mean. Now, you may be thinking that one side is good and the other side is bad. You may be thinking, well, I have my preference, so I'm just going to camp out in my... I like this side. I, this is where I'm comfortable. And we all have our preferences. I have my preference. I know where I'm, I tend to be on which side of the lane I tend to find myself. So our thought is just stay where you're comfortable and, and don't move around in the path. Or the other thought is, you know what? I don't want to go in that ditch. I don't want to go in this ditch. So I'm going to get right in the middle. I'm just going to stay right here and stay safe from dropping off in both sides of the both ditches. And both those answers are incorrect. Neither of those are what the Bible shows us. Don't forget that Jesus was on both sides of the path. He needed both sides of the path. He needed this at different times in different ways, but he never dropped off into the ditch. He got close, didn't drop off over here, got close, didn't drop off over here. He stayed where it wasn't sin. He stayed where it was healthy. We need these things in various ways because loving God means that we love the people that God loves and we work in the ways that God would call us to work sometimes over here and sometimes over here. Loving God means that we know God well over here and over here and we're learning to know him better and we're living that out well so that we can proclaim his truth correctly and rightly and take advantage of this path. It's a narrow path, but we can take advantage of the whole path. There's probably a better illustration here. It's the one that Pastor Josiah used with bowling. There's a better illustration here than the road, because in the road, we're tempted to be right in the middle. With bowling, there's 10 pins down at the end, right? And if you always only throw the ball right down the left side, even if you don't go in the gutter, you only hit a small amount of pins. Or if you throw it down the right side, you only hit a small amount of pins. But this text says, love the Lord your God with everything that you are. You need to hit all the pins. You can't just get the three on the one side or the three on the other. You got to hit them all. That means you got to get in both areas. And as we grow in God, as we learn to love as God has called us to love, we'll start getting better at hitting strikes and picking up spares when we repent and go, whoops, we missed some, but here's some others. And, and we're going to start seeing this get better and better and better, especially when we learn to stay out of the gutters. We've got to stay out of the gutters. Because if we love God with everything that we are, it means that we trust Him with everything that we are. And if we trust Him with everything we are, we're going to stay out of those gutters. We're going to stay out of those ditches. We're going to understand who He is. Okay, so those are the ditches. Now that we've seen the two ditches, how do we do a better job of staying out of them? Because we don't want to be in them, right? I don't want to be in them. I don't think you want to be in them. The Bible doesn't want us to be in them. God doesn't want us there. How do we stay out of them? Well, that's Deuteronomy 6. Uh, six through nine. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. God wants us to rehearse his instructions into our daily life every day. God wants us to know his word, be talking about his word, see his word, teach it to our children. When? As we go, as we're coming and going. It's on our doorposts. It's on us everywhere, everywhere we look, as we're teaching our kids. All the time, everywhere. Why? Why would this be his plan to keep us out of the ditch? Because his words are the guardrails, or in the bowling illustration, the bumpers, that keep us out of the ditches and the gutters. It's his words that protect us. It's his words that guide us. It's really hard. And hear me, please. It's really hard for a false teacher to tell you something that's not true when you know the truth. And it's really hard for a false teacher who speaks the truth but acts otherwise to do something that doesn't look like fruit when you know what God said what the fruit's supposed to look like. It's not your judgment call. It's God's judgment. We measure by God's standard, but you can't measure if you don't know. You can't measure if you're not reminding yourself. So God says, get in this all the time. Know God. Know Him well. Love Him well. Live it out. Right now, most of us are driving 85 miles an hour down a little windy highway road with deep ditches on both sides of the road, and the only thing warning us is this little faded stripe that's painted down the side. In some cases, we don't even see it. We can't see it because that's what we've put up for ourselves, this little tiny painted stripe. But would it be better... If knowing God's word and knowing him well caused those stripes to be really bright, really reflective, really clear, standing out, or even better still, if there was actually a rumble strip, that you knew God's word so well, that it was on your doorpost and on your mind and on your heart, and you're teaching your kids that if you even got close to the edge, whew, that was a close one. The rumble strip. We need, we need a rumble strip to keep us out of the ditches. Or how about rails? How about knowing it so well, being rooted in it so well that there's actually rails that rather than going in the ditch, if you get too close, yeah, you might scratch the paint on your car, but you're not going in the ditch. Or for those of you who don't drive, the bumper's in the bowling lanes. The ball bounces off, slows down, but keeps going. We need this. As Christians, we need this. So we say it all the time here. To the point where, you know, you guys are probably like, I, this is a broken record. But I, if you're going to stay here, and I hope you do for the rest of your lives, I'm going to be preaching this at your funeral. Know God. Know Him well. Know His Word. Draw close to Him. That's what will protect you in this life. That's what will keep you from being one of those people who's a shipwreck when we spy on you down the road when you've drifted off into crazy land. Know God, know his word, and you won't be there. Read his word. Get in a reading plan. Spend time with him. You know, come, this, this will take almost nothing. Nothing. Come at 9.30 and join one of the classes. We have four classes for adults. We have classes for teens, classes for the little kids in nursery. Get a cup of coffee. Sure, you're tired. You don't have to be if you just make the choice to go to bed a little bit early on Saturday night. That'll help you paint guardrails. That'll help build rumble strips. Come and join a fellowship group. 
Connect with people. If there's not one that meets your timeline, make one. Hey, Christians, you want to get together? Let's eat some food. Let's talk about the Bible. Let's pray together. That's all it's got to be. Not complicated. Get with fellow Christians in a fellowship group. Get into one-on-one Bible discipleship relationship. A one-on-one discipleship relationship is simple. You disciple somebody, or you be discipled, or you both disciple each other. And I promise if you really want this, and you call, especially Robbie, he will come. He'll sit down. You call me. Well, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. I probably cannot disciple all of you, which is why some of you need to be discipling people. If you feel like, hey, I'm reading this, I know it pretty well, I should call somebody. It's really simple. Pick your favorite person in here, or the person God's calling you to disciple, or your child. Say, hey, I'm reading a book of the Bible, or hey, I'm doing a study. You want to do it with me? Done. You're now in a one-on-one discipleship group if they say yes. If they say no, just call the next person on your list. Church, this is what we need to do so that we're not watching our brothers and sisters drive off into the ditches. Get into a discipleship relationship with somebody and plug in. Get to know God. Know him well. Be here as much as you can. If you're in town, be here. If you're out of town, watch the live stream or watch the video later. Just keep drawing close to the Lord as much as you possibly can. Finally, sadly, some of you are in a ditch right now. I mean, some of you have just driven right off. You're just out there, one side or the other. The wonderful news is Jesus is like AAA. Like, you call him, you call out to him, he's going to show up with a tow truck, and he's going to pull you out of the ditch. And he might even have a cup of coffee for you, a blanket, but yeah, it was scary, but I'm with you. Hey, let's do this thing. Jesus will come and help you, but it's more than just Jesus like AAA, because what he really wants if you really get to know him as he wants to be like your dad, a good father. Now, maybe you didn't have a, a good father, but I had a father that at least if I drove off into the ditch, and this did happen, I used to go four-wheeling a lot, he would actually come. We didn't have cell phones back then, so you'd have to hike about eight miles, make a phone call, and then guess what? At three in the morning or whenever we finally got out of there, he shows up, he pulls us out. Jesus is way better than my dad. He will show up in your life if you cry out to him. And you say, look, I'm in a ditch. I've been in a ditch for a long time. Maybe the one over here. Maybe the one over here. He will pull you out. And he'll help you and he'll guide you. He wants to be the one that's like, remember driver's ed? Let's stay over here. Let's, let's pay attention. Let's paint bright lines. Let's build rumble strips. Let's build rails. Jesus will do this for you. So my encouragement to you if you're in a ditch is cry out to the Lord, repent. He'll help you. He loves you. He loves his people. God wants us to love him with everything that we are. One, because he's worthy of that. Two, because it's good for us. That's where we're going to find our greatest joy in this life, our greatest blessing in this life, our greatest comfort in this life, our greatest guidance in this life, our greatest hope in this life is found in loving God with everything we are and giving none of that affection to anybody or anything else that all belongs to God. And trusting his word, we can do this. God makes this possible. God wants this for you. Do you want this for you? Most of you are nodding, yes. Then the question you need to deal with is, what is stopping you? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us. 
thank you that you would send your son to die for us when we're cheaters. I thank you, Lord, that you'll pull us out of the ditch over and over and over again, but I also thank you that you teach us how to stay out of the ditches and you give us the protection and you give us the guidance and you give us the direction. Lord, help us to love you with everything that we are. Help us to love the people you love. Help us to love you well. Help us to be okay to just drive in to this deeply and also have much grace and patience for those who don't. God, we want to love you more and more. Help us to do that. God, I'm begging that you would help us to be the church that is just marked by how well we love one another and how well we love you. And Lord, that you would keep us from giving this love to any idol or anything that dishonors you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And God, as we, as we even we take the Lord's Supper and you remind us, Lord, that's the opportunity if we're, if we're in the ditch to come back out of the ditch. That's the opportunity, God, to, to draw back into what's the right place we should be. So thank you, Lord, for the grace that we even get to do that on an ongoing basis. Lord, we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.